Hey, Jack, mm -hmm. you know how it's Lent. Mm -hmm. What are you giving up? For Lent, I'm giving up chocolate. What are you giving up, Lewis? I'm giving up speaking. Okay, well, it looks like it'll just be me today on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we hear from Lewis at some point. Thankfully, I think we recorded some stuff before Lent, so you'll be hearing that on the podcast today. Uh, but yes, so today, listener, you'll be hearing all about the Shroud of Turin, talking about a power parable, really a Lenten classic, Jesus in the desert. And we'll be learning about the Seminary of the Good Shepherd, which recently celebrated their 25th anniversary. Just before we begin, just some slight admin. Given, you know, everyone here at the Grace Studio is busy, busy bees. Unfortunately, we've had to lay back the frequency of the Grace podcast, and they'll be coming to you monthly on the fourth Sunday of each month. But that gives us more time to prepare and more time to give you some quality episodes. And stay in the loop because there'll be some lovely interviews coming up over the next few months. Anyhow, listener, sit back, relax, and enjoy this month's episode of Grace. So we're very lucky that we have a lot of different sources by which we can learn about the Bible. Obviously, we can go to the Bible itself and we can learn about our faith from our priests, but we have lots of other texts we can use as well. In fact, the Pope occasionally releases some, let's call them letters, that can be really, really interesting. And I have Joanna here today to talk to me about one of those. Yep. Um, so I recently read um, Pope Francis's exhortation um, called Christus Vivit, um, yeah. and it's written... At to the young people of God. Sure. What's an exaltation? Sorry. Uh, it's like a statement. So the Pope, um, he has these meetings with people um, and then he sort of writes these, uh, yes, letters or statements and then he release, releases it to the public okay. to read um, and it's just like gold. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I love gold. Let's hear about this yeah. gold. <laughs> um, so Christus Vivit uh, itself is Latin and it means Christ is alive. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically in 2019, he had uh, like a meeting with all these bishops um, and he also met with lots of young people from every continent around the world um, to talk, I guess, about um, what the young people find are the issues today, um, how they perceive the church and what they want from the church. Okay. Um, so I guess this uh, exhortation is written to the young people, but also to everyone um, to, I guess, to hear the voices of young people. That's really cool. Like reading about it was just so good because like, I think as young people ourselves, we, I guess I identify with these um, topics and the issues that people are, I guess, um, saying nowadays. Cool. All right. What were some of the um, major topics that were brought up? Um, so it's written to the youth. So yep. it's about, um, I guess, how God calls young people um, to, you know, be his church, to be his people. Yep. It's also like a letter of encouragement. So Pope Francis really encourages people to, I guess, step out um, in their faith and to, you know, spread the good news. And mm -hmm. I guess let's give some encouragement to young people. Awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, I suppose, yeah, it's really interesting being a young-ish person uh, in today's era because we have it really easy in some ways and really, really difficult in other ways. I think, um, yeah, we, we're not going off to war um, or anything terrible like that, but there is so much, I suppose, temptation around us and there's so much uh, animosity towards the church. It's it's good to, to hear that other people are dealing with it. Uh, any helpful advice or tips or anything you can share? Um, yeah, I guess I just want to start off with, I mean, just chapter one. So there's nine chapters in total. Mm -hmm. um, so Christus Vivit, uh, it means Christ is alive. Um, so I guess the, like to start off, he literally says Christ is alive. Good um, start. 
And I think it's just a really powerful statement because it echoes to me that like Jesus is not just a historical figure. He, um, you know, people think that he lived 2000 years ago yep. and that he's gone now. But, um, you know, Christ is alive today. Like he's in, he's in the world and he's acting through people. Um, and I think that it's just a great reminder. Yeah. Um, and then like later on, like Pope says that, you know, um, the Christ is alive and he wants you to be alive. So it's just another reminder that we as young people, we can sometimes feel, you know, discouraged um, mm-hmm. by what's happening in the world or we, you know, I, I guess don't feel alive, but um, God it, wants us to live. Yeah, it's so easy to be cynical. It's it's almost like fashionable to be cynical. Like you're not allowed to like things <laughs> too much, okay? You can like things a little bit, but too much, that's uncool. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so we are, we are alive in Christ and in his resurrection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think just um, like very early on in chapter one is, um, I guess like you spoke about the Bible and how the Bible is a great source of, I guess, how we can learn about faith. And like Pope Francis talks about that in here as well. Um, so he actually says that, you know, in the Old and the New Testament, um, that the, the Bible speaks of many young people who did great things. Mm. And I think that's a real encouragement um, to us as young people, um, because I can often find myself like presuming only old people, you know, get chosen by God, like sure. like Noah uh, or a- Abraham. Um, <laughs> Abraham was pretty old. He was like 80 or something at the time. Yeah, it's quite old. Yeah, yeah. he's very, very old. No, but yeah, young people can do it too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, God chooses young people for his mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a couple of examples, Pope Francis talks about, you know, King David. Um, so he's, you know, the youngest son. Yep. Um, and that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So, you know, that just reminds me, I guess, that it's what on the inside that, that counts yeah absolutely um and another example is about joseph so he's a son he has a coat yep. um, of many colors um so you know god cho- chooses him over his older brothers to do good things yeah which is really weird because in the jewish culture traditionally like even probably in like most cultures now it's the eldest they're, they're the most important they get all the, they get the farm they get everything mm-hmm. uh yeah the second youngest son he shouldn't do anything and yet he's the one who ultimately allows everyone to be saved um, yeah, it's like you said, it's what's inside the heart that counts and God can choose us even if we can't see our own strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, maybe in future episodes of Grace, I might delve di- uh, deeper into like the other chapters because this is only chapter one. I'd love but, to yeah. hear it. I'll <laughs> look forward to chapters <laughs> two through nine. That was really enjoyable, Joey. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Power Parables, where you and I step closer to God one parable at a time. Um, Today, I'd like to talk about a special passage in the Bible that outlines the journey that Jesus went through of 40 days of fasting in the desert. And hopefully for everybody who celebrates Lent, this would be a journey that you and I will both take together as well over the next 40 days. Um, For me, I've decided that I would like to quit sugar over Lent. Um, And I wonder what the rest of your resolutions are. But throughout this Lenten season, I know that I will definitely face moments of weakness where I will get that sweet, sweet cookie and think, yes, it's only one time. Maybe I can take it. But when you and I both have those situations of temptation, I think something that would be really nice is to take a look at the passage in the Bible and do one of those very classic what would Jesus do? And so today, um, let's go through this uh, passage together and take a little bit of a closer look at what Jesus did when he faced temptation. The passage is Matthew um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, if you'd like to read along. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After lasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So I think this passage really does show us how Jesus avoided temptations throughout the 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I know myself, I get hungry about 30 minutes into a fast. So I can only imagine <laughs> how bad it must be to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, but as you can see, um, despite the issues and the temptations that Jesus faced, um, every time the, the devil made him a tempting offer, you would see that Jesus would think and he would use God and look to God for guidance. And I believe that is something that we should also do as well. Yeah. The devil, hello, I'm here. The, the, <laughs> the devil, like, it's so interesting the way that he tries to trick Jesus and the way that he tries to trick us. Yes. So he, try, he, he appeals to his arrogance and his pride. And so often we fall because of our pride. Like, how dare someone deny us of these privileges? How dare I deny myself these privileges? Exactly. Surely I deserve them. And then... then the devil tries to twist something good into something evil. Like that takes, he tries to use scripture, which is good. And he tries to take scripture and say, well, it says in the Bible, this is okay. He tries to take it out of context and do evil with it. And often that can happen in real life. People look at one little verse misread and misremembered and they go, okay, well, the Bible says this, that's bad. Therefore the Bible's bad or worse. Yes. This is good because the Bible says it. Let's use it in a bad way. Um, but yeah. And ultimately even though it doesn't seem like we're being maybe tempted by the devil directly, like we, we kind of are. Uh, and so if even Jesus is being tempted, like I suppose we can also be a little bit less harsh on ourselves. Like when we're feeling weak, it doesn't make us weak people. It just means it makes us people. And so yes. we can deal with our temptations. Um, hopefully we're not fasting in the desert for 40 days, but it still might feel like that for us sometimes. Yes, that's very true. Um, I think you're quite right. You know, part of being human is facing temptations, but I think um, the way we face the temptations and overcome them is the true strength of our character. Mm. And I'm um, a huge part of the facing these temptations that the devil gives us and the world gives us is just like what Jesus did to take a second 
to think about his relationship with God and turn to God for guidance. And I think, you know, throughout our lives, um, maybe during the Lent as we um, encounter temptations, but even, as you said, um, in your day-to-day life, um, taking the time to take a step back when you receive an offer that might be tempting, but taking a step back, thinking about it and seeking guidance from God, um, whether that be through prayer or going to church, I think is um, truly the best way to go. And that's it for this session, but looking forward to hearing from all of you next time. It's been another episode of Power Parables. A couple of weeks back, Lewis and I were fortunate enough to have been invited by Hean, yes, the one and only Hean, the lovely seminary who joined us in 2021. He invited us over to the Seminary of the Good Shepherd, where they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of the seminary and it was a very lovely affair i mean they have the lovely chapel there i have to admit the stained glass windows just get me every single time lewis you're a man of music and you know you tinkered with the organ in the chapel i did i did very very honored to be able to have that privilege does it get your tick of approval oh more than my tick of approval i don't think well my tick of approval is not is not worth anything but yes the the organ at the seminary was very and the acoustics of that chapel. You went to receive communion. I, I, I didn't. But apparently as soon as you walk into the chapel, it's just you just get hit with the, mm-hmm. with the sound. You have the, you have the younger, I think, first years and second years, and they're singing these hymns and, and the organ, and it just all hits you as soon as you walk in. It is, oh, it's, it's amazing. And it's just so it's in a small space as well. I think that definitely adds to it. In a larger church like we have at St. Jared's, I think, I guess the presence is dispersed. Huh. The, equally shared. Yeah, equally shared. It's sort of a, a lower presence density, if that makes sense. I don't it just feels I just feel more surrounded uh-huh. and I guess more I guess more homely almost in a smaller chapel. Uh, but yes, no, all the grounds were very lovely. They had a you know rose garden and whatnot. But anyway, I'm gonna talk a bit more about the history of the seminary of the Good Shepherd, or Lewis and I will. And it actually, we have to go all the way back to 1889, was actually, uh, I guess, the main seminary first began. So it started off in St. Patrick's College Manly, which is still standing today. I believe it's a culinary college now. Uh, But yes, it started in 1889 with 12 students. And in the opening, uh, Cardinal Moran actually said some nice words. Uh, He said, no nation can be said to have attained the full perfection of its growth in the religious life unless its own children shall be found aspiring to the sanctuary. Now, the original seminary program was six years long and until the 1960s was taught in Latin, which I can't imagine would have been an easy affair. Now, in the 1970s, those interested in joining the seminary, those numbers unfortunately died down. So St. Columbus's College in Springwood closed its doors in 1977 and headed on over to Manly to join the brothers at St. Pat's. Uh, But then it was in 1996 where our story of the Seminary of the Good Shepherd takes place because it was in that year where the college relocated to Homebush where it stands today. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, it only actually opened its doors in 1997. So a year later, um, hence why, hence why 
they celebrate the 25th anniversary uh, this year. Currently, it's under the care uh, and the leadership of the, the rector, Father Michael de Stoop, Simon Katimbo, the vice rector, and the spiritual director, Father John Armstrong. Um, and they say at the Seminary of the Good Shepherd, they say their mission statement is to try to imitate the life of a priest. Part of that involves uh, living in self-contained blocks. So all the seminarians, uh, as we saw, have their own individual houses, all of which are actually named after the founding bishops of Australia. And it was cool because Hian's Hian's house, he's in sixth year, so it's right at the back. It's named after Archbishop Moran. Pope John Paul II, when he spoke of the role of the seminary, described it as a place where men gather to learn from the Lord in the same way as the disciples gathered around Jesus during his early ministry. So the seminary sort of works towards that in all the, the various aspects. So they have, they've got a gym there, they've got tennis, they've, as we said, they've got really nice rose gardens. There's times where the seminarians come together for shared meals. It's a really, really nice to do. The current seminary boasts 46 seminarians, which is the highest number in the whole of Australia. And since 1996, the seminary has produced 102 priests. Now, I was curious where the seminarians go to study. because They don't actually study uh, in the seminary. There's the Catholic Institute, which also moved to Strathfield uh, in 1996, which is about a five-minute walk from the seminary, according to Hian. So in layman's terms, I think that's a 10-minute walk to the Catholic Institute where they do all their studies and lectures. So it's the academic side of, of their education which is one of the four main pillars that they strive to follow at the seminary. What are the other three pillars then, Jack? Well, the other three pillars are human formation, spirituality, and pastoral work, which I think just those, you know, those four things, human formation, spirituality, academics, and pastoral work, I think they're just a nice four things to focus on. I mean, what's that? Human formation, chilling with your buddies, spirituality, chilling with God, academics, exercising the mind, and pastoral work, helping out your fellow man. I mean, you can't, you can't say anything bad about those four things. Mm-hmm. It was also good to see some of our own in the graduation photos at the seminary. We saw Father Jim, saw Father Peter, and you know, hopefully in the next couple of years we'll be seeing Heen up there as well. So it was very nice. But you know, they've spent quite, you know, quite a lot of time reading and, and studying over there at the seminary. So I think it'll be definitely interesting to hear what it was like to live in the seminary. And we will be hearing that in the next episode of Grace. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Miracle Mondays. Mondays, Mondays, Mondays. I'm here with your co-host, Bernie, along with other people, depending on who wants to talk on the microphone. Who else is here today? Joanna. And... Now the reason we're doing this extra spooky episode is we are doing the Shroud of Turin. (laughs) Why is it spooky? Well, the image is a bit bizarre when you first see it, but the story is not spooky. The story is, in fact, incredibly wholesome. You might be spooked by just how miraculous it is. Tell us a little bit, Bernie, about the Shroud of Turin. All right. Shroud of Turin. What do you know about Shroud of Turin? 
uh, something about Jesus's face appeared on some cloth or something like that? Um, kind of, kind of exactly. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so Shadow Turin is this really big piece of linen fabric that supposedly was the burial shroud that he was wrapped in after the crucifixion. It's about four meters long, mm-hmm. one meter wide, yep. and it first appeared in the 1300s. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is big linen cloth. We think this is the burial cloth of, of Christ. And the bishops were like, no, it's a fake, you know, just get rid of it. Well, I mean, you'd have seen that, right? Like 1300s is a long time. You would, you would. That's yeah. a long time to, to for a shroud to reappear. And then in the 1800s, there was this amateur photographer named Secondo Pia, um, and he took a photo of the shroud. So on the shroud itself, you actually can't see that much. You see a lot of blood. You see kind of a faint outline. You see a lot of burnt marks, mm-hmm. but you actually can't see much of muchness. What happened is they took a photo of the shroud, and this photographer, when you with film photography, you have what's called a negative image. Um, before you produce the actual photo. So the negative, like all the white tends to black, all the black tends to white, that sort of thing? That's right. And so when he looked at the negative image, that's when we first saw this face. That's when we first saw this body appearing, which raised a lot of questions. And a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, who is this person in the shroud? Is it the whole body? It is the whole body. So the, the length of the linen shows both the back and the front of the body. Wow. So not only do you see the face, you actually see... You see the body kind of wrapped. You actually see a lot of things. Actually, let's go through that. Nowadays, they've done ultraviolet uh, scans to see mm-hmm. what else is on here. You see this man. He's got piercings in his hands, in his feet. You see... From from nails, not, from just, nails. not just stylistic you feelings. Know, of, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you actually see a crown of thorns on his head. And actually, it's more of a helmet. So it's wrapped all the way, not just around um, the front and, and like a ring. It's actually over his head as well. Wow. You also see a piercing in the side of his ribs between the fifth and the sixth rib. And ah. like blood's kind of pouring out. Yeah. Also see a lot of uh, inflammation around his his face. You see scourging on his back. There's over 370 different sc- like scars and, and piercings and damages and wounds all over his body. It's just so overbearing. They can even tell from the scourgings on his back um, that it was it's in the Rome during the Roman time they would use what's called a flagrum. Um, and so they could tell that this flagrum, which is like a whip, at the end of the whip you have sharp objects. Yeah, like a cat and tails, like sharp yeah. little spiky bits. And you can tell that even from these scans that there are two different people beating him on his back and you can see that one person was a lot stronger than the other. Like that's how thorough it is. Wow. That's how what they've discovered. That's actually not the most exciting bit. At least my, me personally, there's something a bit more. That's very exciting. What's have, more exciting <laughs> than that? Have you ever heard of uh, the technique rigus mortis? Never in my life. So when forensic scientists looked at this, uh, at the Turin, at the Shroud of Turin, they noticed something about the, the body. When a body dies, what happens, it goes into this phase called rigus mortis. Rigor mortis? Rigor, rigor mortis, yes. Yep. So what happens is certain chemicals are released in your body and it tenses all your muscles. And this happens a few hours after you die, but if the body has been beaten, it actually happens immediately. And it lasts between 48 to 72 hours. Mm-hmm. After that, your the muscles tend to become more placid and yep. this phase kind of ends and you go into a, a post-mortem decomposition phase. Sure. Now, what scientists are really baffled about is when they look at this image, it's showing it during the rigus mortis stage. So it's showing it within the first three days of the body being dead. Uh-huh. Which is confusing because when you put that in perspective, how is it that this person 
if they were wrapped in this in this cloth got out of the cloth without any smudges or marks or anything like that but the image is retained yeah so what they're trying to understand is how is it that this image came onto the cloth like usually when you look at a fossil takes a couple of years for the fossil to kind of solidify, but you don't see the the flesh of the fossil. You see the the skeleton, the imprint. The imprint. Yeah. He's, what's baffling them is how is it that this image imprinted onto the cloth so quickly? But what's really weird is that for this to occur, it would have to have an instant blast of light, heat, and radiation. It has to be instant. And that can't happen, well, I mean, 2,000 years ago, if, if you want to put a date on that. Uh-huh. But it can't actually happen right now unless you have that technology. So how is it that this this linen um, has this image, which is super thin, by the way? Um, keep in mind, there's no indication of any any ink or any pigments on this linen cloth, mm-hmm. but it's just this really thin image, which is only six microns thin. To put that wow. in, in perspective, that's like 0.006 millimeter. That's how thin it is. This image. Um, it's like a hair sort of thing. Yeah, if yeah. if not less. Yeah. And so that's how they're trying to figure out how this image came to be on, on this cloth. And that's what's really stumping a lot of scientists because they just can't explain it. Over the 2,000 scientists that studied this cloth, 95% of them became Christian. Wow. Because they just can't, they can't fathom how, how it is. There are, there's a lot of skepticism surrounding it, though. The church hasn't really declared it a miracle, yep. but they're not denying either. Um, and I think that's mainly because there was a study done in the 90s called radiocarbon dating. And so they took like a fragment of the fabric in the corner yeah. and they tried to figure out what date it was from. Like, so carbon-14 dating. So you get yeah. so radiometric dating, you get the, you, you'll get a particular like isotope you're looking for, like a version of carbon. And depending on the amount that's there, you can find mm-hmm. the approximate. It's, it's very, that's very accurate usually. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where it's kind of got a bit of scepticism because they only dated it back to the 1200s. So that's why they're not denying it, but they're not saying, hey, you know, this, this, is, this is real. Yeah. Um, there are people who are saying, well, they only took a fragment of the corner of this fabric uh-huh. and it was, it was stitched together after a while because it was burnt in a fire or part of it got burned into a fire and they tried to put it together again. Sure. So that's, that's kind of like, mm, is, it, is it real? Is it not real? But um, just based on all the other information, it's just really fascinating how, how this came to be. Um, and I think it's just a real test of faith. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's it may not seem better, but it's almost better in a way that it's not a definitive proof. Like any definitive proof would sort of ruin the point of faith. Like in the Bible, I can't remember the exact passage, but like Jesus says something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, like you guys are blessed because you, you've seen me and you believe how much more blessed are the people who don't see me but still believe. Mm. And I guess if like if Jesus came here right now and said, hey guys, I'm Jesus, I'm real, everything I said is true, it would sort of, it would make, make life a lot it would be beautiful. It'd be amazing. But like quite a lot harder in some ways because how could you live up to that? At least with now, at least we get the benefit of faith. And hopefully at the end of the day, God can go like, look, you guys were useless, but at least you tried your absolute best. And at least you had faith. At least you had belief. I think, yeah, that's the thing about miracles that I really, really like. Like you don't have to believe them and that's okay. You just have to believe that ultimately that God is real and Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, it's, it's not, your foundation isn't based on just that miracle alone or multiple miracles because at some point all the facts can be presented to you but at some point you can still choose not to believe it. Yeah. It's, that, it's that stepping stone where you kind of say, okay, I have enough here now to see that it's a real, even yeah. if there's like room for doubt. Yeah. That's what faith is. Yeah. yeah. People know smoking kills them, they still smoke. <laughs> no, knowledge is only half the battle. There needs to be some sort of belief. Faith and reason mm. that we come to salvation. Yeah, I highly recommend that you look up the photos. There's a lot to see there, and there's a lot of different studies, and you might find something interesting just by looking at the face alone. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much. That's been another Miracle Monday. Given that last week was the feast day of St. Patrick, we thought it best suited that we conclude this month's episode with a prayer of St. Patrick. I rise today through the strength of heaven, lights of the sun, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of the wind, depth of the sea, stability of the earth, firmness of the rock. I arise today. May the strength of God pilot us. May the power of God preserve us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the host of God guide us. Against the snares of the evil ones. Against temptations of the world. May Christ be with us. May Christ be before us. May Christ be in us. Christ be over all. May thy salvation, Lord, always be ours. This day, O Lord, and evermore. Amen.